0: Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we're talking to Madhuri Vijay about her
1: book, The Far Field, which is out now from Grove Atlantic. And you can find a complete transcript as well as a list of all the books we mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. So this book
0: is one of those longer books but it feels like a page turner and you can't just stop reading and it's just it's just so captivating so trying to keep the fangirling to a minimum was pretty difficult
1: (laughs) it's also an extremely timely book given what's going on in the world right now but yeah like she just does such an incredible thing with the plot and how she structures it and how she brings all the characters together it's it's really quite amazing Yeah. And I read this book with a group of friends and we
0: all were just obsessed with it and continue to be obsessed with interviews. I'm pretty sure that half the time our group chat is the uh, Vijay news uh, (laughs) chat because there's so many links to different things from online that she interviews she's given or different things like that. So um, it's definitely a book that will immerse you and you kind of want to, Feel reimmersed in the book. And I think you mentioned, Autumn, in the interview that it's definitely a book you would want to reread and kind of study in that way.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack in it for sure. But a little bit about Madhuri. She was born and raised in Bangalore, India, and her writing has been featured in the Best American Non Required Reading, Narrative Magazine, and Salon, as well as many other publications. And she has also received a Pushcart Prize. But The Far Field is her first novel, which I feel like we
0: say this a lot, but it's very hard to believe that this is her first novel because it's just so good. It's so good. Very well done. So without further ado, uh, here's our conversation with Madhuri Vijay about The Far Field. Well, so welcome to the podcast, Madri. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm going to try to keep the gushing to a minimum, <laughs> but I read The Far Field and I just sat there when it was over and I didn't know what to do with my life anymore. because.
1: it was- Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that could be
2: very good or very bad.
1: <laughs> oh, it was good. She, was, she finished okay. it before I did, and she was like, have you finished it yet? Have you finished it yet? And I was like, no, I'm reading as fast as I can.
2: Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, so before
0: we jump the gun too much, um, for our listeners who haven't read The Far Field yet,
2: uh, could you describe it for them? Okay, I can try Uh, The Far Field is uh, a novel set in India, uh, or to be more specific, in two very different parts of India. It follows a young woman who is from the city of Bangalore in the south, uh, which is a giant metropolis of roughly eight million people. And she travels uh, north across the length of the country to uh, the state of Jammu and Kashmir, which is the northernmost state, to a little village there in search of a man that she used to know, who used to visit her home uh, when she was a child and developed a an unusual sort of relationship with her mother. And at the time that she makes this trip, her mother has died. It's a sort of confused pilgrimage. She doesn't quite know what she's looking for. But as I'm sure many of your listeners know already, Kashmir is a volatile region uh, which has been contested by India, Pakistan, and to some degree by China for a very long time. Uh, It remains politically unstable today, and so her... Trip, which begins in a very personal goal, quickly turns into something larger and more confusing than she'd anticipated. Uh, And she is brought into a position where she has to make certain decisions, and uh, those decisions are not always the ones um, and it's so I think of it as a book that is about the collision of an individual and a country. Uh, you know, we what what does it mean when a when a person, uh, a private citizen, comes into contact with these large geopolitical forces, and what forms do they take? That's that's how I tend to think of it.
1: You mentioned that the story is kind of a pilgrimage, and, and it is, and it's also, I felt like it was kind of like a history, and it's just so layered how you write the story. What was the original point of inspiration, or what
2: first inspired you to write the story? Uh, there was no single point of inspiration. I kept coming back to it in various forms, and various avatars over the years. Ultimately, it formed this kind of, uh, I suppose, a patchwork inspiration, but there was no single, you know, inciting factor. I grew up in Bangalore, which is in the South, as I said, and uh, I uh, grew up roughly around the same time as the Kashmir conflict began. It began in the late 80s in its current iteration. There have been many versions of this conflict over the years. And so in a strange way, I grew up alongside this conflict, but I had no experience of it, even though it was happening within the borders of my own country. Uh, I barely knew, you know, growing up that there was, you know, fighting going on, you know, hundreds of miles north of me. And it seemed so distant that nobody was talking about it where I was growing up. You know, not my school uh, teachers, not my parents parents, not their friends. So it formed a kind of dissonance for me when I grew up because I would also, there would also be, you know, there are Kashmiri men and women who come to the South to work. And so just this idea that you can belong to the same country and have such utterly different experiences of, you know, said country. I know it's a, it's somewhat an obvious point, but It struck me for some reason, particularly when it came to Kashmir. And I had to, at some point write a story, a very bad story, about a mother and a daughter and this salesman. Uh, It rightfully um, has never seen the light of day, but those were the characters I eventually ended up returning to after many, 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 many detours and false starts and dead ends and what have you.
0: So you've mentioned that it's gone through several iterations. Uh, How long have you been working on The Far Field?
2: Uh, The story that I mentioned, I wrote in 2010, but I didn't pick up uh, the idea for a novel until 2012. And then I attempted for about a year to write some version of this book, which you would not recognize at all in this, in this, what, what eventually went to print. Uh, The characters were entirely different. The conflict was entirely different. I thought I had to write a certain kind of book. You know, I, I think it was a case of, um, uh, I had already decided what the blurbs would say and what the jacket copy would say. And I was just working backwards from that. You know, it was going to be sweeping and epic and it was kind of, we have three characters and their lives were going to, and destinies were going to intermingle in unexpected ways. Like I'd already written the jacket copy, as you can see. (laughs) So I worked on that for more than a year. And, you know, as is the case with all these predetermined uh, projects, it failed because I simply didn't care. And there was no mystery and without a certain amount of mystery and challenge and the possibility of, it just didn't feel exciting. So I, I dumped that for about, after about a year and went through several months of not knowing whether I was going to be able to do this or anything else. Then I went back to that very, very bad story, but I started with Shalini's voice as an adult. And suddenly it was alive again.
1: I, I love hearing stories like this just because I love hearing how books are made. And it reminds me of, you know, I've always heard that most writing happens in the rewriting. Oh, I don't know. It's just so maybe encouraging to hear that a novel as beautiful as this doesn't happen on one try. That it takes, you know, a lot of time and thinking to put into it.
2: It took a lot, um, not only on my part um, and the parts of the you know my closest readers to whom I gave the book for their feedback but also on you know the part of my editors at Grove who was three years in the editing process or you know, almost three years and so the draft I wrote even with Shalini's voice is nothing like the book that is now you know on a shelf
1: mm-hmm. and I'm,
2: I'm so glad all of those years made a difference and every one of those drafts made a difference.
1: You mentioned a minute ago about how the structure of the book changed from your original concept, perhaps. And I felt that the structure was really fascinating. And, you know, there's like one half of the book, and then there's like kind of a second half of the book. Could you talk a little bit about like how you kind of worked through deciding like how to tell the story that way?
2: Part of it was deliberate, part of it was accident. The more I began including those childhood chapters, the more I realized how crucial they were. And I think at some point I had thought, oh, you know, I'll just get rid of these. This is just for me to excavate the background of this this novel and, and you know, perhaps I won't need it. But they, they seemed so potent uh, that I, I, I realized that they had to be there. And then at some point I realized that the narrative, and I think I like to do this, I like narratives that mirror you know, it's it's sort of a neat trick, but I I, I like neat tricks. Uh, and uh, where, you know, the action in the in in one half of time mirrors the action in the other half of time. So Bashir Ahmed comes to Shalini's home. Shalini goes to Bashir Ahmed's home. You know, Shalini has a sort of semi-flirtation with Riyaz. Bashir Ahmed has a semi-flirtation. You know, it's it sort of, each half looks very much like the other half, which of course begs the question, then how are they different? And how, in the same sorts of situations when people make different choices. How how do the outcomes vary? Uh, So those are the kinds of things that helped me with the structure. But I think it's fairly classic, the, you know, moving back and forth in time, going back to childhood and then showing the sort of repercussions of that childhood. I think it's a fairly classic hero's journey. And I really enjoyed
0: the mirroring that you were talking about. And even sometimes in the same timeline, there will be echoes of a previous uh, scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, Samaya and I were talking about this a lot because she would come across one of the echoes of a pre-earlier scene just kind of with the Shalini reflecting on that with a new knowledge because it's later on in the book. Uh, And that was just something that I hadn't picked out so clearly before in a novel. And I thought it was extremely effective, especially with what, Shalini is is trying to understand in this book. And what we haven't talked about yet is this book is sort of a confessional from Shalini. You have present Shalini and then like slightly younger Shalini and then childhood Shalini. And it's kind of framed by this confession kind of style of reflective voice. So when you heard Shalini's adult voice and you were like, oh, this is a novel. Mm -hmm. Was that confessional part of it something that came to you as well? Or was that something that developed over time as you were working on the novel?
2: It was always a confession. The funny thing is she confessed to something. I didn't quite know what that was. She said, I've done something. And then part of the novel was figuring out what she had done. So that, that came early and I knew there had to be some Version of guilt she's admitting to to something. And it, James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room was a big influence for me, in especially with that tone at the beginning of the book, where you have the sense that it's already too late. But here's the story. And you know, as far as those repetitions go, there was also I was also thinking of music, you know, orchestral music or choral music. And whenever you repeat a phrase, I was always told you never repeat at the same time it has to be it has to resonate a, a different way or even you know carnatic music indian music whenever you 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 repeat a certain phrase you can't sing it um, in the same way as you as you sang it originally something has to be added and so that's what i was trying to do with those repetitions every time you came back to a certain phrase that a character would say it would have to gain even more depth but it's that was very that very much came from the world of music.
0: And I think some of the most poignant echoes are with Shalini's relationship with her mother, which is very complex. And I feel like the childhood timeline is always kind of shadowed by the adult timeline and that you know what happened is that in the very beginning of the book, Shalini says that her mother uh, passed away. So you know her mom is going to pass away but there's that mystery of what's going to happen with her mother and her relationship and her mother's relationship with Bashir Ahmed. And it sounds like you had this idea for a mother daughter relationship and the complexities uh, that interplay between them. Uh, But what, drew you to their relationship and developing it? And I mean, I just keep thinking about it and it's such a beautiful uh, interplay between characters, uh, but what was some of the discoveries that you made while writing it? And yeah, what, what drew you to that kind of relationship?
2: I don't know. Um, I suspect I'll need many, many hours on a psychotherapist couch to figure out what drew me (laughs) to that. And I, and I probably won't like the answer, Uh, but (laughs) I find her fascinating. I find a woman like that fascinating. Indian fiction has a tradition of the woman who is unhappy in her marriage, to whom education has been denied, who is, you know, confined to the role of the mother. That is established, I think, I know. But I also wanted somebody who was unusual in her willingness to be vicious, which I think is less is less, slightly less common. Usually the oppressed woman in Indian fiction is just that, or she's, she's sort of lively, but she's oppressed. And here's a woman who suffers many of those similar deprivations, who is also kind of mean. Your, your sympathies, well, ideally, uh, and certainly mine, my sympathies were divided. On the one hand, I felt very sorry for her. On the other hand, I sort of wished she would be nicer. That was a character I was interested in. And then I'm also interested in what happens when you have an outsized parent, a parent who just casts such a huge shadow over your early years that you are you're unable to shed it, that you sort of have to drag the shadow around everywhere. You know, you. I, I know people like this. I know parents like this who, who put their children in the position of having to look after them. Um, or what, what does that do to a child who feels responsible for the happiness of her mother or father from a very early age? And, you know, this, when, you, when you have pe- people who are suffering from some kind of mental illness, who are, um, you know, uh, alcoholics, the, the, the circumstances can be any, but the effect on the child is what I was interested in. Or what does that do to an adult? I mean, as, as I discovered with Shalini, it, it does something. You know, she is, she has changed because of the mother she had and the father she's had. And part of what she does is what she does. And, you know, that's individual culpability. But where does that end? And where does the sort of the long looming shadow of her childhood begin?
0: And we'll be back with more of our conversation about The Far Field after a word from our sponsor.
1: And I think even, you know, as I was reading her grief and how she handles the grief of her mother's death was also a really interesting thing to kind of see how she dealt with that. Because what you're saying about feeling conflicted about her, you know, I I too felt that way. Like, oh man, I, I hate that this has happened to her, but come on, get your act together. You know, even what you're saying earlier about like the mystery, you know, and I, I'm not going to Fully get into this because I don't want to spoil anything. But I did find myself wondering at the beginning, like, why is she going to find this guy who, like, who she's not seen since she was a child? Like, why
2: is she dealing with her grief this way? Yeah, it's can't... absolutely stupid. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Which is sort of, I always knew that. You know, I mean, there was no, there's no secret. It doesn't make sense. It's not a smart thing to do. It's very ill considered. Yeah, and
1: it, it makes her such an interesting character, and it, you know makes you know as a reader you examine like why why am I expecting certain people to grieve a certain way or you know or even just mm. following with Shalini on this journey as she kind of figures out why she's doing it herself I thought was really fascinating
2: mm-hmm. to follow along with her mm-hmm. uh, good I'm glad you felt that way because I I do think that she's figuring as you say she's figuring it out as she goes along she's sort of inventing her own rationale for being there um, yes, I'm going to go tell him about this. No, yes, I'm going to go find my own life. Yes, I'm going to go forge a new, you know, yeah. It, she sort of keeps reinventing her the reasons for her, for her journey there, which I have to say it happens. I mean, I've done it. You know, you arrive in a place or you arrive in a situation without much thought, and then only retrospectively do you assign meaning and purpose to why you are there.
1: Definitely. One of the things, too, that Kendra and I talked about after finishing the book, because we were kind of, you know, thinking out loud about what we thought about it. Um, One of the topics that came up was like Shalini's privilege, you know, how she arrives in this place that she's never been before, but has a lot of assumptions about it. And, you know, we kind of see her naivete before she does, you know, as she kind of like bumbles into these situations that she's just kind of has no clue what's going on. Like I'm thinking, you know, her interaction with the soldier and, you know, so, so many things that happen when she first arrives there. Mm -hmm. And you touched on this a little bit before, I think, but why was it important for this story to be told from Shalini's perspective, say for example, instead of the people she was staying with in Kashmir or someone else who lives in Kashmir, what does her
2: perspective bring to it? That's a great question. Closest I can come is to say that, to me, that felt like the most honest novel I could write. What I mean by that is uh, I could have written a novel that would have, you know, I could have written a section from Riyaz's perspective. I could have written a section from Bashirama's perspective. I could have written one from her mother's perspective. And I think it would have had the effect of tempering Shalini's character. If you see her through other people's eyes, you would probably feel a lot more softly towards her than you might otherwise. But part of the novel is concerned with the unknowability of other people mm. and to have included other perspectives would have made everything more knowable to my way of thinking less less fraught with possibility uh, because i would have had to answer and had the opportunity to answer a lot more questions and to mitigate the harshness of what she does and i i'm not i wasn't interested in mitigating the harshness of what she does. She does that. She does what she does, and she has to live with it, which to me is enough to make me feel sorry for her mm-hmm. for the rest of her life. She's 30 years old, and for the next 60 years, 50 years, she's going to have to remember that she did this, which is a terrible thing in and of itself. To be the one who causes the disaster is perhaps in some ways Worse psychically than being the person to whom the disaster happens. And I had no interest in letting her off the hook. Mm -hmm. That, and then the other reason books written by Kashmiris about, you know, from the perspective of Kashmiri, there are so many wonderful books. I was interested in writing a book about an outsider experiencing this conflict, not in a sort of romanticized, I went and stayed on a houseboat and it was, you know, in the mists in the morning, not that way, but to really sort of see it. That was the story I was interested in writing. So for all of those reasons, there was no question that I had to stay with her, and I understand that it opens the book up to all kinds of risks and problems. You lose omniscience, you lose the ability to sort of contextualize because her perspective is her perspective and it's flawed. But it felt very necessary to the integrity of the of the project, of the book.
0: And I feel like with Charlene's perspective and staying with her you know, there are some scenes in her childhood where her father is kind at a dinner party. And there are all these comments made to Bashir Ahmed, who's also there and about why don't you just accept the help we're trying to give you and a lot of really one sided kind of ignorant comments about Kashmir and what life is like there and all of these different things. And I feel like she obviously is the result of that kind of attitude and going there and kind of discovering for herself It kind of like smacks you in the face. And for people who aren't from Kashmir, you know, like Autumn and I, it was like, we are also discovering along with Shalini and, and kind of checking our perspective and learning a bit more with her. And obviously, In her circumstances in this story, a lot of other tumultuous things happened, but I feel like it also kind of let the reader into the perspective and and learn along with her in many ways, which as the outsider, you're like, no, why are you doing this? (laughs) Like, Yeah, yeah. Saying that, it was just very, very effective, very difficult to stay with one character throughout an entire novel, especially a novel of this length. And I was just totally immersed. So I really appreciate the characterization that you did with it.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Um, yeah, I know. I know that other people feel that there are people who despise her. But honestly, she wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, I mean, And... Uh, i mean if she if she were trying to excuse herself, she wouldn't have told it at all. I think that speaks to a
0: layering of her as well because you know this is a confessional, so it's like almost like a frame tale, and then you have the different chaliniy, like the childhood Shalini, and like the layers of perspective. But one of the things that that brought to mind was I was reading this review by, um, Madeline Day, which was in the Paris review. She says that the far field chafes against the useless pity of outsiders and instead encourages a more difficult solution, cross-cultural empathy. So I wanted to ask you, why is it so important that writers and those of us in the literary community have this conversation about cross-cultural empathy? And, And what was something in particular that you wanted to bring to that conversation?
2: I don't know that I had any intentions in that regard. I think despite what I've said so far, I do think it's dangerous for a novel to have too many intentions. I think that exposes it to uh, to rules, which I think are antithetical to any work of art. I tried not, not to have too many intentions, and cross-cultural empathy wasn't one of them. You know, I I certainly wasn't thinking in terms of the broader implications of these characters' actions. Not at the time. I just had these people. I was just trying to make them rub up against each other in interesting ways. That said, the useless pity of outsiders uh, is a wonderful phrase, first of all. One of the things that I've heard often about you know, when when re- when readers respond, is why didn't she just go back? She should go back and do something. And my answer to that is always, well, what are you doing? You know, most of the people I bet who are reading this book are like Shalini. Not that they're not that they've necessarily ruined anybody's lives, but that they're comfortable. That they probably don't have soldiers knocking at their doors. And they are in a position to do something if they wish to. But I would also bet that most of them are not doing the kinds of things that they're asking her to do. Again, as I said, a novel shouldn't have too many intentions, but uh, it's done now, so I can assign as many intentions to it as i as I want. <laughs> um, it's a criticism not only of her, but of of all the people like her uh, who are educated who have traveled who have seen the world uh, and yet who have made the decision which is a very easy decision which is a decision that i make frequently and have made frequently to limit myself to my own life and my family and uh, you know uh, and and sort of be aware vaguely but not really immerse myself in the big problems of the world you know i'm not at the border I'm not in Flint. I'm not in Kashmir. You know, so does that make me a terrible person? And if it doesn't make me a terrible person, how is she, how is she any different? Mm-hmm. You know, so there to me, she stands as a there's a there's a sort of litmus test in in how you how one feels about her.
1: I think it's definitely the kind of book too that bears second reading. Like even talking about it now, I'm like, oh, I, I need to go back and and read it again, um, just because I think it is so complex and layered. And I
2: think that uh, that was what I wanted uh, that it wouldn't that it wouldn't be easy, and it wouldn't be what one would expect or one would hope for, which is you know sort of perverse on my part. But um, I enjoyed flouting what I thought were the four expectations. (laughs) It says a lot about me, I suppose, more than it does about her.
1: Well, I'm sure that we could continue to talk for hours about your book. But before we let you go, we, we always like to ask the guests that we have on the podcast, who are some of their favorite women authors that they like to recommend? And also you mentioned a minute ago, um, some books written by from the Kashmiri perspective so if there's any of those that mm-hmm. you'd like to recommend we'd love to hear about those as well oh,
2: of course I'd love to uh, as women that I read and uh, love are so many that my list is going to be either very very long or I'm just going to give up in panic after two names. <laughs> I've always loved Alice Munro, Ismat Chuktai, Shashi Deshpande, J.D. Smith, Arundhati Roy, Anita Desai, Margaret Atwood, Elena Ferrante. The list is—it's very, very long. Um, and the Kashmiri, the Kashmiri writers that I have been thinking about, I well, there's a, there's a wonderful graphic novel, a graphic memoir called uh, *Munnu*. Uh, written by, goodness, I've forgotten his name. A young, a young, very young man. It's really powerful, and I think I think everybody should read it. Uh, Basharat Peer wrote a memoir called *Curfewed Night*, which is wonderful. Mirza Wahid has written two, uh, perhaps three, uh, novels set in Kashmir. Shahnaz Bashir has a book *Feroz Rathar. There, there are many, many uh, writers. Oddly, I can't think of any women in that list, but I'll have to do more digging. Well,
0: we are very thrilled with that list. A lot of our favorites there, and I look forward to reading more from Kashmir. Uh, that's, before we let you go, is there anything that you're working on now that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh it's just
2: another novel with no intentions. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. That's about all I, that's about all I know. So <laughs> that's about all I can say.
0: Well, that sounds exciting to me. So, we look forward to that whenever that comes out. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk with us. Thank you both. it has been fun. We'd like to thank Madhuri Vijay for talking to us about her novel, The Far Field, which is out now from Grove Atlantic. You can find Madhuri on her website, madhurivijay.com. And of course, all of her information will be linked in our show notes.
1: We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Private. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon.